You're listening to the Anomalous Podcast Network. Multiple voices, one phenomenon. I am here to discuss the so-called flying saucer. Washington, ghost-like objects dart across the radar screen at the CAA Traffic Control Center at National Airport for several hours. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. You are about to experience the awe and mystery. Hi everyone, and welcome to this special first edition preview episode of the Unidentified Aerial Podcast. Um, this is a new podcast featuring myself, Dave Partridge, who's the editor and publisher of Shadows of Your Mind magazine, and my good friend from UAP Media UK, Graham Rendell, who's just released the book UFOs Before Roswell, um, examining the Foo Fighter phenomenon of World War II. How are you doing, Graham? Yeah, I'm fine, Dave. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. I mean, I think we've decided that we want to do this preview episode before we launch into anything more serious, just to give people a feel of what we're aiming to cover and why we're doing it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's, it's always good to let people know exactly you know how it's going to play out and what we're going to talk about and in the manner we're going to do it in. Yeah, because we're, we're not experts by any stretch of the imagination. We're, you know, we know what we know and we're always willing to learn and do the research and you know if we're wrong about something we're happy to admit we're wrong yeah very true but also the, the good thing is that you you know your stuff and, and i know some other stuff we don't always know the same things so there'll be things yeah. that you know there'll be subjects that you're quite hot on and there'll be ones that i might know a bit about and would learn from each other and also there'll be ones that we have no clue about at all and that'll be a, a void of discovery for the for the two of us as well Exactly. And I think, you know, as we go along as well, we'll have um, some special guests coming in and helping us, you know, uncover some of the mysteries that we possibly don't know anything about or very much about, kind of specialists in their field. I mean, we've already banded a few names about and we won't disclose them here. Um, But there's a few subjects that we, you know, we're looking forward to investigating together, I guess. Yeah, definitely. This, this, a lot of fact and a lot of fiction out there and trying to just you know um, to separate one from the other is really difficult but we hopefully the two of us and the people that we hope to get on to talk about these things we can make some sense of it all absolutely so with this first series i guess we can call it a first series um we've decided that we're going to start in the 1940s and possibly just briefly before that as well because what people new to the subject don't realize is you know there was a lot of events um researchers and cases and you know people involved with the ufo subject way before say the 2004 nimitz incident even rendlesham in 1980 i mean the 1940s seems to be the origin point of modern day ufology it does, yes, but that modern day point um, seems to be revolve around the Kenneth Arnold sighting in June 1947 and uh, the Roswell incident in July 1947. But in fact, yeah. there were things that happened much earlier than that. I mean, not just the Foo Fighters that I wrote a book on. There are other things that happened before then, and we want to concentrate in this first series on some of those. 
Exactly. So should we should we go through a couple of those? That yeah, we, please. You know, we think might be of interest. I mean, the Battle of LA is obviously a famous one because of the um, you know the panic that it caused on the east coast of the United States. That's right, and it came very, very shortly after the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. So people were jumpy. They were expecting a Japanese uh, attack on the west coast of America, and this seemed to ramp up the tension. But there's so much sort of more to this story than just a possible Japanese bombing raid. We'll get into that at the t- when we talk about it, but it is one of the sort of early manifestations of possible UFOs over America, five years before Kenneth Arnold's sighting. Yeah, and even before Kenneth Arnold's sighting, you had things like Maury Island going on. You had um, the Cape Girardeau incident, whether that was real or whether it wasn't. That was in 1941, I believe. Yep. Uh, and then, of course, you got the, you know, one of my favourite um, kind of cases when I first started looking into the UFO subject was the de-glocker, you know, the Nazi bell and... Project Lisa and all that, <laughs> Hans Klammer. You know, and I found that fascinating until I actually looked into it. And, you know, it's it doesn't matter if there's a prosaic explanation for things. No. You know, as much not. as people want some of these myths to be true, you know, yeah. more often than not, the more research you do, the more that you find I it's just an everyday explanation. I cast my mind back to about 1982 when I first read about the German flying discs, which are, again, they're connected with this kind of super secret Nazi technology. And I remember thinking back then when I was sort of 16 year old that this, this kind of thing, or 14 year old, sorry, these things are really, really exciting. And, you know, how, how cool it would it be that these things were really true. But then you sort of like, you know, you sort of put your sort of serious head on again, just think, no, there's there's no substance to this story whatsoever. There's no evidence. And it was a bit of a letdown, I felt. But actually, I'd rather the truth came out about these things rather than just keep propagating myths that you just see appear yeah. in place after place after place. Um, you, 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 you open a website or you look at a book and there'll be more. Some, somebody else will be saying, oh, yes, these things really existed. Uh, and this happened and that happened. And you say, no, they didn't. Uh, but then you think about the poor sap that comes along and reads that and then thinks it's true. <laughs> so, yeah. You know. and, uh, but, you know, there's, you know, we're not trying to be the only sheriffs in town and no. debunk everything that we come across or, you know, our word is not gospel. Definitely not. We know that. We realize that. And, you know, like I said before, you know, we are – more than willing to be corrected um, if we, you know, say something that is probably not along the lines of the actual truth. And you know, I'm happy for people to get in touch. Yeah, and I think we'll try and sort of say when it's um, more of an opinion that we have than when yeah. it's more factual. So we'll try and draw those distinctions out so that people are aware that we're maybe straying away from what is you know definitely fact to what is possibly supposition. Um, and also we'll try and point out some myths along the line as well that that genuinely are just you know sort of pseudoscience or or, or just stories and, and tall tales because there are quite a few of those along the way as well. But when we ask people to come to us and say, look, you know, you've got this wrong, would rather people actually show evidence? And we're not talking about something that just, you know, the kind of theory somebody's had in their head. We'd like to have mm. something concrete that we can look at and go, yep, yeah, you're right. Because otherwise it's just 
you know, oh, I said that, you said that kind of thing. And we don't want these kind of uh, the, the, these these talks, these debates to devolve into that kind of he said, she said kind of argument. Yeah, because I think that the the primary thing that we want to have with the show, this podcast, is to have fun. You yeah, know, exactly. Have a fun conversation, nice and balanced, and wherever it takes us, it takes us. I mean, we're going to be exploring Roswell incident at some point, and we all know from the research over the years by many people how much of a minefield that can be. Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, we've got so many books on the subject now um, and so many different versions of the inverted commas truth that <laughs> it is, as you say, a minefield, and it doesn't matter how you look at it, inevitably somebody will come along and say, no, you've got that wrong. So, yes, it's going to be fun, that one, though. So we'll, we'll tread carefully, we'll be respectful, but yeah. we'll see what we can find out and what we can sort of put forward as to what may have, may not have happened. Absolutely. And it's not just cases and events that we're going to be looking at. We're going to look at some of the people involved. Um, you've already mentioned Kenneth Arnold. Obviously, there's General Ramey and um, Jesse Marcel, if we're covering Roswell. But there's also people that people people that possibly have gone under the radar somewhat um, these days, people like James Forrestal, yeah. um, who's very much um, you know, part of the UFO scene right at the start in the 1950s. And then you've got the Horton brothers as well, who I know are favourites of yours. Well, they're certainly all to do with the Foo Fighters uh, because they come into that kind of thing, but also in terms of just German secret weapons. And they are a bit of a, um, a kind of... Um, a whipping boy for the people who think that the that all the UFOs are all to do with um, you know people building things after the war, either the Russians got them or the Americans got them, and it's all just a case. Of, oh yeah, the Hortons did all this. Well, mm, the truth is a bit more sort of uh, um, yeah, it's not it's not as fantastic as that. I'm afraid. No, exactly, and I think you know with uh, Operation Paperclip as well, that's something we're going to be looking at. Yeah. Yeah, plenty, plenty of uh, plenty of food for thought all all through that uh, line of uh, reasoning. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, while I was looking into the nineteen forties, I came across something very interesting. Which um, I know you're aware of Ronald Reagan's speech to the UN, saying that um, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could all band it together yeah. if we were thre- threatened from you know a force off planet? Yeah, it's a famous soundbite. Yes. Um, what? Yeah. I mean, what I found out um, was that the British Prime sorry, it wasn't Prime Minister, Clement Attlee was Prime Minister at the time, but Anthony Eden, who I believe was the Foreign Secretary mm-hmm. in the UK, um, at an address of the at the United Nations Association, which occurred in Downing Street in 1947, he actually said this, um, sometimes I think the people of this distracted planet will never really get together until they find someone in Mars to get mad against. When he was kind of saying, it is, and he's, you know, pretty much the same as Ronald Reagan was saying in the 1980s is, because we are such a disunited planet individually, you know, there's wars going on, we got border controls, we have, you know, lots of different factions and kind of arguments going on globally, that it does need something outside of this earth to uh to bring us all together yeah very true um i can't really offer a quote that's as good as that because that's a that's a great quote but i'll just i'll just give you one here and this is going back a few a couple of years earlier and this shows you that 
they just didn't understand what they were looking at. And this is a secret mm. memo from the 12th Tactical Air Command to the 1st Tactical Air Force on the 16th of January, 1945. And the first line literally reads, we have encountered a phenomenon which we cannot explain. So just leave well, that there. Yeah. I mean, you know, that rings true today as well. We still encounter a phenomenon that we can't explain. Doesn't it just? Yeah. It's like they reinvent the wheel. And it's you just see the same thing come around time after time. And you'd think after 70, yeah, 70 odd, 80 odd years, they might have got a bit of a grip about it. But it seems that the same old kind of lines, the same old questions are still being asked. And the same lines in terms of explanations are still coming out. Nobody seems to be any further forward. So hopefully we'll make some sense of it for some, some of you out there. Yeah, I mean, we we all know why we've got no further forward on this case. It's because mm. you know no one could work it out, so he swept it under the carpet and pretended it didn't exist. Exactly. So, is there anything that you are looking forward to um, talking about or investigating during during this series? Well. You came up with the Shaver Mysteries, um, and I don't know much about that. So I'm interested in learning more about this, that subject. Yeah. So there'll be other ones like that as well, which I'm not familiar with because I'm not, I don't pretend to be an oracle on all things UFO um, and UAP. So there are quite blind spots that I've got, things I've just either not been interested in or I've just not had the time to look at. So those will be the things that I'm actually genuinely interested in because I want to increase the sum of knowledge that I have. Yeah, I think the more that well, the more that you learn, you know, the more you can possibly discount further along. Hmm. Um, I mean, every investigation into one subject or one area kind of gives you a hint as to whether you're on the right path with something else. Yeah, I mean, people talk about Maury Island and whether the um, deposits that dropped from the sky, the metallic deposits, and landed on a boat. You know, people still question whether those donut craft, six donut craft, flying over that lake did actually happen, even though uh, people like Kenneth Arnold were sent there to investigate and government officials, you know, essentially took some of that material away. So I'm looking forward to some of the older cases where I kind of know the outlines, but I don't know the full details. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people, uh, you know, us included, have a kind of sketchy ideas about a lot of cases, and we're familiar with the kind of the, the, the just the, the the overview, but the actual essential details to these stories and these cases, we're not that sort of like you know sort of a, we don't know them all entirely, and I think that's the great thing about this. We're going to look at these a little bit more in depth, and as you say, come across with a much more kind of. Um, how should I put it? Just a much greater understanding of what everything was going on back then, not just from the forties, because also we'll cover that but then into the fifties and so on. So yes, a lot to look forward to. Yeah, definitely. And I think looking at subjects which are outside of the UFO UAP subject as well, I think, you know, they have some kind of links to them. I mean, I've mentioned the Manhattan project to you before, because that's essentially when those bombs started going off, whether they're a testing range or you know elsewhere, that's when people started seeing other things in the sky. You know, I think that's that's going to be a good good way to introduce people who aren't necessarily interested in the UFO subject, but if they know that while these nuclear tests were being undertaken by the US, you know it did have an effect elsewhere where people were starting to see things that they couldn't explain you know yeah. whether that was someone from 
you know, extraterrestrials flying over and checking out to see what we're doing. You know, there's the old adage of, um, you know, with with a child with the with a matchbox kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, it 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 doesn't seem like it's coincidence that the, it all kicked off in in the way it did after 1945. Um, there's obviously there are sightings that happened before then, so it's not a, mm. it's not a all encompassing kind of explanation, but it does seem to explain why you know that it did sort of take off the way it did, and that's a good that's a good conversation to have. You mentioned about other, you know, sort of esoteric um, sort of cases that sort of fit in but don't quite fit into the overall story. And you have things like the Philadelphia experiment, where they tried to make a sh- yeah. allegedly tried to make a ship invisible in World War Two, um, and that 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 was a sto- that was a story that popped up back in the seventies. Uh, I remember buying the book myself and reading it about the same time as they were talking about the Bermuda Triangle, um, and it was all sort of linked in. It was all tried to be linked into together and it was it was a fascinating story i'm not entirely sure i believe it for a lot of different reasons but it was fun at the time and i certainly i was certainly intrigued when i read the story so yes that's something else we'll discuss in in one of these episodes exactly and that's got links to um, both einstein and tesla as well yeah um i mean nikola tesla we we could do like a couple of shows to him if <laughs> people wanted, but I don't know enough about Tesla and his death rays, and um, you know all that kind of all those experiments he was involved with. Um, but yeah, the Philadelphia experiment was also has always been one of those where it's the horror behind it as well, where you get the mm. stories of you know crew members being fused with the deck when it reappeared. Yeah, you know it, it's like something straight out of Weird Tales magazine. It's it's definitely it's definitely sounds like science fiction, and I have to. Uh, I was fairly young when I read read the book the first time round, and I have to remember. I do remember like thinking, how much of this is real? But yeah, yeah. it was just. Again, it was another one of those kind of things. That it's it's a great story, but I'm not entirely sure it's true. But we'll get sure. to that at the time. What was the name of the boat again? The USS Eldridge. Eldridge, it? yeah, it was a destroyer. Yeah, I mean, fun fact: the USS Eldridge was. Um, Appeared in a episode of Loki on Disney Plus. The oh, no, that's, not a, that's not a coincidence. <laughs> no, it was quite a nice little Easter egg for anyone yeah. who's interested in this subject. Um, I mean, I pointed that out to Dan Zetterstrom at the Signal, um, and he missed it the first time. I think, and he just said, uh. like, "What?" <laughs> it's just one of those things that you don't expect, but you know, at the same time, you're not surprised that it was included, given the uh, history of that. Yeah, of that I mean, story. Something else we'll probably talk about as well in you know as we're as we're going through these these cases and these other kind of incidents is the cultural um, kind of aspect that surrounded all this. So we might talk a little bit about the books and and the, and the movies that were either yeah. out or by, influenced by some of these store these the stories and these cases. Um, not so much in the 1940s, but certainly once we get into the early 1950s, there was a whole slew of films that came out in 1951, 1952, that, you know, Day of the Earth stood still, um, yeah. The Thing from Another World, those kind of films that you can see how the, you know, were very, very heavily influenced by what was happening at the time. Absolutely. And, um, you know, even the books made right at the start of 1950. Um, Major Donald Kehoe released his first book, so that's you know that's mm. 
ripe with um, Air Force incidents from the 1940s. Yeah. Um, and what a lot of people don't realize about Donald Kehoe is he'd actually written four stories that appeared in Weird Tales magazine during the uh, 20s and 30s. Oh, well, that's so something we know I... science fiction. Yeah. Yeah, that's something it's... I didn't know, you see. So that I'm learning things already, Dave. I mean, they're not great, but... You know, the fact that he was actually a published author or um, published writer before he decided to do those books, you know, I found that fascinating when I when I uh, read those. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to we're going to stumble across things like this. I think the fact that people aren't generally aware of and certainly, you know, the two of us might not be aware of as well. And and that's a that's a good thing to know. Yeah. And, you know, it might take us pre 1940s as well, because Hmm. You know, there are a whole host of science fiction um, magazines and the pulp fiction books that were coming out during the interwar years. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe they planted the seed of some of these ideas that we see later on. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, the Day of the Earth stood still. I mean, 1951 movie was based on a 1940 mm. um, science fiction novel. So, you know, the, the ideas were, weren't entirely new. That, that Some of them had been in, in circulation for a, a fair few years. Yeah. I mean, there's one person I'm looking at digging back into, and that is uh, Admiral Richard Byrd. Ah. Um, of course, most people know him through Operation High Jump and all the varying stories behind that expedition. But yeah, Nazi, I mean, Nazis he's, in he's, Antarctica. Oh, that's going to be a, <laughs> that's going to be a bundle of laughs. That conversation. <laughs> it's going to be fun, isn't it? And I think his uh, purported diary as well um, needs to be mentioned, where he, well, the writer claims that you know he, he disappeared into hollow earth while he was trying to um, fly oh, yeah. over the north pole mm. i'm afraid if anybody wants to try and sell me that one um you know uh, yes okay you know go right ahead but i think <laughs> i think i have a bit of a closed mind on that one i'm sorry it's just a bit kind of oh no <laughs> In fact, uh, the, uh, yeah. the, whole, the whole thing about the the Nazis on in Antarctica and all these bases and all the rest of it, it just it just makes me shake my head. <laughs> it's just like oh, <laughs> but you never know. The thing is, we do write these, know, we do write these things off, but there's always that kind of one percent of the information that you might just go, oh, I'm not entirely sure about that, and it's just enough yeah. to keep that story alive, isn't there? It is, and um, you know, there's a reason why these stories have been kept alive as well. Yeah. You know, whether they've been pushed by um, people looking to make a quick buck, oh yeah, or whether they've been, um, you know, there is a grain, no yeah, matter a how small, truth, there's yeah. a grain of truth to it. Yeah, right? and that's, I think that's why, yeah, I'm looking forward to our following conversations over the next few weeks and months. Yeah, me too. And I guess if people want to get in touch. Um, I think by the time this episode comes out, then we'll have all that set up. Right. Did you see the article in the Daily Star regarding the um, case of Thomas Mantel? I had, Thomas br- Mantel? I had a brief look at it. Um, yeah. It, I'm not entirely sure why the story came out for. It, 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 what, what, they, what are they trying to achieve by... I mean, I, it's great that you know, old cases are being put in the news, mm-hmm. but I'm not entirely sure why. And perhaps you can explain that one to me because I'm not entirely sure. Well, I think from the angle of the article, I mean, it was very factual. It hmm. didn't go into, um, 
you know, the kind of stuff that's on the Daily Star this morning, which is Yuri Geller knows the location of the Ark of the Covenant. Of course he does. Yeah. And that, that made the front page on a Sunday, slow news day. But yeah, the Captain Thomas Mantell article was basically trying to determine when the UFO investigation started with the US government. And mm. that incident kind of, it's been hinted that Kickstarted. that was the one that made, yeah, it made the government take UFO seriously because, you know, here were experienced pilots who saw something which wasn't Venus refracted through their cockpit windscreen. <laughs> yeah. That um, old chestnut, yeah. So talking yeah, about it wasn't. You're talking about Project Sign, in other words, um, which was yeah. the, the first uh, recognised official um, investigation, certainly by the US Air Force. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and as we know, Sign went on to grudge and became, and that became Blue Book in the 1950s. So, yeah, I think, um, yeah, these episodes are going to be good, and I'm looking forward to learning a lot more than I do already. That's good, yeah. The, though, I mean, the the Mantel case. I mean, you can add the the Charles uh, Whitted, the air, the the, the DC three that were flying that case, and also the Gorman dogfight in nineteen forty nine. So there's three cases there were basically the ones that sort of really were used to galvanise public interest in the media. Um, so th- those are three, probably the, the the kind of foundations, if you like, of that the, mm-hmm. the modern phenomena from those years, because they were really famous in terms of the press coverage of them. Um, obviously, Mantel died, but the the other two cases, the people survived, and they were interviewed at length by the media. Um, and you can and you can find the you know documentation online as to the investigations, etc. So there's a whole lot of you know information there to look at. Yeah, I mean, I'd never heard of the uh, Charles Whitted case and, you know, Gorman dogfight. I kind of only knew the outline of it. Mm. Yeah, so the, well, I mean, I'll just give you a quick outline now so people aren't left kind of dangling there. Um, it was the, the D- DC-3 airliner, two pilots, and they see something go, you know, past their airliner. Um, that kind of thing hadn't happened, you know, in 1948. Mm. Um, so that was one of the first, you know, Instances where an airliner had been effectively buzzed by a UFO, something they didn't understand, they hadn't recognized before, didn't look like a meteor, wasn't a star, wasn't another aircraft. Uh, and the Gorman dogfight happened in 1949. It was another F 51 Mustang, like Thomas Mantel's. And he went chasing a light, a blinking light. Um, over over the city. Um, I can't remember the offhand which city it was now, I would have to look. But when he got next to it, it started. Well, they got into a dogfight. Effectively, they were going round round circles, and every time you, you got near it, it, it went upwards uh, again, and, and and effectively just flew off, you know, out, out of sight in in the end. But these stories captured the imagination of of the American people when they were you know reported, and and it just fed the fire of this kind of clamour for information about the UFOs. If people hadn't seen them, they wanted to know about them, and the ones that wanted to know about them wanted answers. And that didn't wasn't just the press and it wasn't just the witnesses. It was also the US Air Force. They definitely wanted answers as to what was going on. Well, exactly. I mean, it was still a pretty delicate climate politically back yeah. in those days. Um, you know, with the Second World War had just finished. Um, we had kind of the the germination of the Cold War as well, and people were becoming a little bit paranoid of whether, you know, Russia had 
technology that could threaten the United States at the time. Yeah, that's true. When the reds under the bed kind of thing, there was everybody, yeah. you know, if it wasn't um, like UFOs, it was going to be Russians. And Russians were, were, you know, they were the bogeyman even in the late 40s. And that was a natural, you know, kind of explanation for these things that were happening. Oh, they're probably, you know, they're possibly Russian aircraft, they're spy airplanes that, you know, they're, they're spying on our new atomic installations or our air bases. Uh, they're flying over, you know, over America. Um, was that true? Well, that's what they, some of them thought at the time. Yeah, and I guess we'll uh, we'll dig into that and find out what was what. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, I think for the preview episode, we'll uh, leave it there. I mean, is there anything that you want to add, Graham? No, I'm just looking forward to getting stuck into it, Dave. Cool. Um, so where can people find your work? Uh, well, if you follow me on Twitter at, at Borders750, so that's my Twitter handle, there is a Linktree uh, link in my um, in my profile, and you can find out pretty much everything there. Brilliant. Um, yeah, I heartily recommend that people check out Graham's book, UFOs Before Roswell, because it is a fascinating read. Um, and you learn more about World War II as a whole as well, which I found um, enlightening. Oh, thank you. Um no worries. As for me, um, you can find me on Twitter at Shadows Magazine. And also you can download any issue of Shadows of Your Mind magazine absolutely free as a PDF at shadowsmagazine.uk. So that's it for this preview episode of the Unidentified Aerial Podcast. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed some of the things that we've discussed today. And I hope you're looking forward to what we're going to be chatting about in the coming weeks. Yeah, me too. I hope you have a, a really good time listening to what we're we're going to talk about. And I'm certainly looking forward to it myself. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It is. Right. Cheers, Graham. Thanks for your time. Yeah, and, thanks, uh, Dave. Yeah, we'll speak soon. Okay, bye. I'm here to discuss the so-called flying saucer. Washington, ghost-like objects dart across the radar screen at the CAA Traffic Control Center at National Airport for several hours. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. You are about to experience the awe and mystery. You're listening to the Anomalous Podcast Network. Multiple voices, one phenomenon.